and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's Echoes of Calvary broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Rob continues his studies in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Today we look at verses 9 through 14, the four W's of good prayer. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. So now we come to the verses before us, verses 9 to 14, which are really like a Niagara Falls prayer of Paul for the faithful brethren in Colossae. It's a 218-word sentence in the Greek. My English teacher would have called that a run-on sentence. But he's so enthused, he's so moved, he's so excited that he prays a 218-word prayer in one sentence for the Christians at Colossae. Again, let's see the prayer. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the gospel. I see four things in this 218-word prayer. They all begin with the letter W. They're hangers you can hang thoughts on as you listen to this sermon. Four hangers that all are named with a word that starts with W. And the first W and the first hanger of this particular prayer is the knowledge of God's will. I see that in verse 9. He prayed that they would have a knowledge of God's will. I'm going to call this a window. Just like that window is projected and you can see the blue sky and the clouds through the window, Paul prayed that the Colossian believers would look through the window to see what the will of God is for them as a church back then and for them as individual Christians. And that window remains open this morning, church. The same will of God exists now as existed then. And we ought to pray for each other that we would see through the window of Scripture what the will of God is for our church and for each of our lives. This is amazing that God would condescend to us to let the window be open, the blinds and curtains to be pulled back, that we might know his will. This is because he's a revealing God. He is not a concealing God. Dan Brown's book, Notwithstanding. God is a revealing God and not a concealing God. Verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Being filled with the knowledge of God's will involves deep experience. This is the knowledge that comes through experience. This is not theoretical knowledge. This is not academic knowledge. This is not ethereal knowledge. This is experiential where the rubber meets the road, daily knowledge of God's will. 
The Greek word here for knowledge is not the one meaning theoretical knowledge, abstract knowledge. No, the Greek word here is the one used for deep experiential knowledge, like a husband should have of his wife when she wakes up, what her favorite meal is, what troubles her, what she dreams to be, how she wants to see the children raised. Experiential knowledge. Husbands must have this of their wives, and believers must have this of their Christ. And the way we find out deep experiential knowledge of Jesus is in this book. Because this book gives us the window as big as God chooses the window to be. The second W in this prayer after window is walk. Paul prayed for a worthy walk for those Colossian believers. He prayed for a worthy walk. Here we see a tightrope walker. One step slightly out of line, he falls off the tightrope. The Christian life is a tightrope walk. We have to consider every step, how it will be interpreted by those who are not Christians who watch us, and they do, how our children, physical and spiritual children, will take their cue from every step that we take. Every step should be measured and defined by whether or not that step will bring glory to God or not. Paul prayed for the Colossian believers that their lives or their walk would be worthy of the worthy Savior. Verse 10, please. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God wanted the Colossians to walk worthy of their salvation, and God still wants you and me to walk worthy of our salvation. Psalm 119, verse 105. Listen, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I always picture the light of scripture as being like a Coleman lantern when I was camping. It's not a halogen high beam that illuminates the road for three or four miles ahead of the car. God's word is a lamp a Coleman lantern unto our feet. It gives us enough light for the next step of life and the one after that, but it means we must be in his book. You can't be just inoculated by me on Sunday mornings at 9.30, get a good dose of Bible, and then safely walk the tightrope the rest of the week without conferring with the light of Scripture yourself. If we would walk worthy of our calling, we would be in God's word and allow it to have light for our path, one stride's worth of light at a time. Be in his book daily. When you miss time in God's word daily, it should bother you more than when you miss a meal. Verse 10, again, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This knowledge, again, to drive it home a second time, is experiential knowledge. When our kids learn to drive, and Joanna has already learned to drive, obviously she's going to be 21 in March next month, and JD has turned 16 in February, so he's going to learn to drive very soon. He's going to be a good driver. 
When you learn to drive as a novice, you may not be mindful of where the gas gauge is. But I ran out of gas on a cold winter's road when I was 16, and I've never run out of gas since. (laughs) Experiential knowledge. My practice is when the gauge is at halfway mark, it's empty to me, and I fill it. Experiential knowledge is knowledge that is validated for you, knowledge that is tried and true knowledge. Experiential knowledge, like the knowledge you should have of Jesus, is a tool in your tool belt to carry around like your cell phone every day. Experiential knowledge of Jesus ought to inform us as to what is error around us. And experiential knowledge of Jesus should cause us to do things differently than if we did not have the experiential knowledge of Jesus. Again, you get experiential knowledge, not at seminary, but with the Bible cracked open in the early morning in your favorite chair at your house. The experiential knowledge of Jesus ought to shape how we walk on the tightrope so that we walk worthy of our calling. Now, back in Colossae, there was a particular false teaching that had crept into this baby church, and this false teaching had several ugly heads and faces to it. In the first place, the false teaching back then was that it blended Jewish legalism with Greek philosophy and mysticism. This whole process of taking worldviews or religious beliefs and mixing them up and trying to make them one new whole is called syncretism. Syncretism is not absent today. Syncretism is all around us today. We had a family member in our family years ago who died. She came to know Christ as her savior on her deathbed, literally. She was in our family by marriage. And my brother-in-law was her son. And he asked me if I would do her funeral service. I was honored to be asked. And then as his family started coming in from the northeast of the United States to Toronto for her funeral, the night before the funeral, I got a call from my brother-in-law. He said, yes, all my family's in from Texas and New England, and they're just wondering what you're going to share at my mother's funeral. So I I talked about it. He said, are you going to share the gospel? They want to know if you're going to share the gospel. I said, oh, yes, I share the gospel at every funeral. Well, they said to tell you if you're going to share the gospel, you can't do the funeral. This is a family of intellectuals and high achievers in industry. One of the members of the family invented the Cool Ranch flavor for Doritos. I think he's rich, and I'm serious. But they didn't want me to bring the pure gospel that Christ died for sins and arose to bear on what they had gathered over the years in university and college and PhD programs that tried to make their own way to heaven that had nothing to do with the cross, nothing to do with the Savior, nothing to do with faith, just achievement. And so I said, well, I'm sorry they feel that way, but I can't do the funeral. I wouldn't really ever do the funeral if I was prohibited from giving the gospel. Now, I attended the funeral. It was only right. They didn't get the gospel. Far from it. Secretism is alive and well today. Watch for it. The second false teaching aspect that was in Colossae was that this false teaching demanded dietary law and circumcision to be observed. Things that God gave to his nation of Israel in their constitution called the Ten Commandments and the law, people back then were saying, you have to be circumcised if you're male to be right with God, and you have to eat just the right foods. You can't eat foods that God prohibited. 
Well, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. He came to complete the law. He's, in so doing, he's given us freedom apart from the law, standing with God other than the law. The law was just a school teacher, a mentor, a tutor to lead us by the hand of the cross because the law shows us we couldn't keep the law and we need a savior. But when the savior came and fulfilled the law, we don't have to revert back to Old Testament law to somehow be in good standing with God. My experience has been in the evangelical church in the West. It's not circumcision and it's not dietary laws that we've got to haul back from the Old Testament and put into our laps for today. It's things like the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday, friends. The law for the Sabbath is Saturday law for the Jews. We come on this day, the first day of the week, because we mark the bodily resurrection of Christ. Now, am I saying there's no place for a pause day in the Christian's week? No, not at all. I'm not saying that. And if you choose to make it Sunday, that's fine with me. But don't consider Sunday the Sabbath. It is not biblically the Sabbath. This false teaching in Colossae blended Jewish legalism with Greek philosophy and mysticism. It demanded Jewish, Jewish dietary law and circumcision. And it worshiped angels. It called the uh, Colossian believers, worship angels like you worship Jesus. Ever been to a Christian bookstore? There's almost as many books about angels as there is about Jesus. This false teaching back in uh, Colossae believed that the material body was essentially evil so that it was to be denied food and water and rest. That whole outlook and worldview is asceticism. And certain branches of the Roman Catholic Church with their monasteries still believe that an ascetic regimen for their monks will make the monks more approved by God. These errors in Colossae made it crucial that the Colossian believers knew the truth about Christ, about salvation, about sanctification, about freedom. It made it essential they knew about the truth that experienced the truth, and the truth changed them as they lived day to day. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Hi, good morning. My name is Pastor Nicholas Rogers, and I am the youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. I'm here to talk about some of our summer events that we have planned for this upcoming summer. Starting on June 29th to July 3rd is our annual vacation Bible school. And this year the theme is Everest, Conquering Challenges with God's Mighty Power. VBS is a, an event that we look forward to every single year because this gives an opportunity for us to just not serve people in our church, but to serve Nassau and Lodge. This year, VBS entails God has the power to provide is day one. Day two is God has the power to comfort. Day three, God has the power to heal. Day four, God has the power to forgive. And day five, God has the power to love us forever. Yes, we understand VBS is a lot about teaching the Word of God, but we also have games. We also provide great food. We also provide just a, a great environment for your kids to come along and to learn. We also have crafts. We also have our imagination center. There are so many things that are, are put into this one week of Vacation Bible School. Again, those dates are June 29th to July the 3rd, and our times are from 9 to 1 o'clock. We here at Calvary Bible Church, we give our teenagers an opportunity also to serve in this capacity, where we have a lot of our teenagers, about 30 to 40, that come and serve and help out with this, this ongoing thing every single year. Also, we have adults there as well. So if you are on listening, you think, well, only the teenagers be watching my kids. Don't worry. We have those adults there as well to, to make sure that everything is run smoothly. 
Secondly, this year, we also have a trip to Cat Island. And that is going to be taking place on July 5th to the 11th. And this year, we're going to Cat Island to serve alongside of Sunlight Boat Ministries. And we are going to be in Cat Island doing the same exact VBS. Like I said, this is going to be the same thing. Um, we're not giving them a second class VBS. But we are going there to serve the Lord and to do what we can. One of the aspects that I forgot to talk about in our first segment was the great music that we have at our Vacation Bible School. And the teenagers that put so much effort into learning the different actions for these songs. And what a great thing that we want to carry on. I think too many times today we think that we have to be born and that we have to keep our hands to our side. But there, as we look at kids, we see truly how we are to be in God. The childlike faith where they don't care what people have to say. And that's what we want to do. As we go to Cat Island and we have Vacation Bible School here, we want to see the Lord lifted high. We want to see His name made famous because we know that what we're doing is because of Him. Nothing in ourselves. And again, like I said, we have a group of teenagers that are going to Cat Island to serve in the capacity of Vacation Bible School, but also to serve the community where we want to do whatever they want us to do. We're not going with our agenda, but we want to do what God wants us to do. It's God's agenda that we are looking forward to, to doing. And I think too many times when we think of mission trips, a lot of times we go with our agenda, but you know what? God has different plans, and we have to be ready to listen to Him. And I would challenge you, if you are looking for an opportunity, um, and you haven't signed up for Cat Island, there's space still available, please talk to Pastor Nicholas about this, because we are looking for a chance for you to serve in this capacity. Also, we have a student life camp that's on July 12th to the 18th. This camp is be taking place in Daytona Beach, Florida. This is an opportunity for our teenagers not to just be in the Bahamas, but to leave. As we know, Jesus himself retreated. He went away from the disciples. He went away to be alone. He went away from all the distraction that he had in life just to spend time with his father. And this is a great opportunity for our teenagers to go away and to see how other people worship God, as well as to see how we can better prepare ourselves to grow in our faith. At this camp, it's, we have um, J.D. Greer, who's a well-known author. Um, he wrote a book called The Gospel. And J.D. Greer is well-renowned because he wants you to understand that, look, we don't just want to hear the gospel. We know a lot about the gospel, but he wants us to live the gospel out in our daily life. What is living the gospel? Living the gospel is being like Christ wherever we go. We need to understand that we could tell people the gospel, but we're not living it. We are hypocrites. And we need to make sure that we are doing the best that we can to live up to the name that Christ has given us. Being a Christian, being a Christ follower, being a little Christ to those around us. And I think too many times we forget these things. We forget that God is in control, that God allows us to have the gospel. The grace of God is the only thing that keeps us going. And lastly, July 19th to the 24th is our Camp Bahamas trip. And every year we, we have been doing this for the last so many years as Camp Mom has been around for about 13 years. And this is a great opportunity for your kids to stay in the Bahamas and to enjoy that camp feel. They have great praise and worship, great fun, great Bible teaching. I think too many times in life we, we put our kids in all these different events, all these different um, clubs and schools. And yes, we, we want to learn about educational stuff. But let's not forget the Word of God, because we know the Word of God never grows old. The Word of God never changes. The Word of God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And I think that this is something that we need to remember. If you would like any information on any of these trips that I have mentioned, or the Vacation Bible School, if you have a teenager who 
would like to help or a child who may like to um, participate, please call me. This is Pastor Nicholas at 326-0800. Thank you, and God bless you. Have a great day. And now, Help for the Hurting, with the director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. And good morning, and thank you for having us in your homes again this morning. In the studio with me uh, is Deborah Arnett. Last time, if you uh, listen to us, uh, we ask a question. I'd like to ask that question again. And the question was, what is one of the greatest challenges impacting the quality of parent-child relationship in our country today? And uh, Deborah. Well, as I mentioned last week, um, I think the greatest challenge, based on my observations and interactions with children and adolescents, has been the issue of there being a loss or the losing of honor within our homes and within our interactions between a parent and a child. And so I've found a lot of adolescents are struggling to honor their parents because of different things that they've observed. So last week we mentioned the observation of hypocrisy where their parents are not um, walking in their words. They're mm-hmm. living in conflict with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, the lack of integrity. So a parent will admit, you know, they don't abide by certain things, but this child may be exposed to different community activities or organizations that promote the very things that the parent is not necessarily advocating. Mm -hmm. Also cultural attitudes. Um, There are a number of individuals within the media who will mock parenting. There are a number of shows within the media that will mock um, parent-child interactions and the role of a parent and the importance of honoring parents. And then I also mentioned the absence of parents, not just physically but emotionally and even spiritually mm-hmm. where parents are not as engaged emotionally and spiritually with their children and sometimes it's simply because they don't feel as if they have the tools to engage their children particularly as their children grow and develop and become adolescents that ask a lot of questions or challenge their authority. Um, they tend to become more removed and just give instructions and distance themselves emotionally and spiritually from their children because they don't know what to do with the child. Um, And then I mentioned two other factors, and those were um, the parent's approach to the child. So if the parent takes an approach where they're utilizing fear, power, and force in a way to control that child, in a way to lord over that child, and sometimes even in a provoking fashion, ultimately that atrophies honor. And so you'll find a lot of adolescents describe experiences where their parents have used force that was excessive. And in response to that, that adolescent has developed a lack of respect for their parent over the course of time because they feel as if their parent does not love them and does not respect them. And then finally, I mentioned that the use of words, in other words, a parent uses words and um They're not words of life, they're words of death. So the parent is saying a lot of unconstructive things. They may not be cursing out their children, but they are not speaking life over their children. Mm -hmm. And in response to that, the child finds it difficult to relate with the parents. But I think that there are two important truths that need to be held and embraced by an adolescent or a child with regards to their parents. No matter what their parents are doing, no matter how their parents behave, honor is not optional. Right. So... It's not, hey, my mom's good, so I'm going to honor her. Hey, my mom does these things, and she's a hypocrite, so I have the right to dishonor her. Honor is essential. Yes. And there are a number of young people who have dishonored parents that they thought were not honorable enough, 
And if they were to sit with us today, they would describe their regret for ignoring the instructions of their parents. I've sat with young men that would describe how their fathers weren't necessarily walking in integrity in the way that they related with their mothers. But then when that young man were considering um, pursuing a specific relationship with a specific girl, the father would step up and speak up and say, you know, I don't really think this girl would be the best person for you. Mm -hmm. And in reaction, the son would start to think about his father's example and his father's history and come to the conclusion, well, who are you to speak to me about this? Right. And dismiss what the father has to say. And there's a specific young man that I can think about right now um, who articulated a great deal of regret for ignoring his father mm -hmm. because his father was right on target. His father knew, right. although he didn't live it out. And then the other point that I think is very important um, to articulate is that we don't age out of honor. Um, because we're adults, it doesn't become acceptable for us to be dishonoring. Right. Um, to assume, well, you know, my ma my dad, he's an old man and he doesn't know anything and this is what I'm going to do and I'm just going to do it this way and he always did it that way, that doesn't work. I think it is extremely important, no matter how old we are as adults, that we honor our parents right. because our kids are watching us. Yes. Also, God, if you have an intimate relationship with God, he is watching and observing the way that you are relating with your parents. And there are a number of stories told within our culture where an adult child will behave in a fashion that dishonors his or her parent, whether it be removing them from the home and placing them in a community care facility and taking over the home, and that parent just withering in response to this, the dishonor that was shown to them. Or even just simple acts of speaking to them with disrespect Dishonoring your parents is unacceptable no matter how old you are. Yes, um, I recall saying to my uh, children, as long as you're in my home, I expect you to respect me as the father. In other words, you, you are my child, even if you're 100 years old and I'm 160, you're still my child. So I, I can really uh, appreciate that. Thank you very much, uh, Deborah, for sharing with us again this morning. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.